Welcome to Talking with the Animals, an exploration of animal communication. Join animal communicator, craniosacral therapist, and NES practitioner Caroline Pope as she discusses how to understand other species as they truly are, not just from the human perspective. That's right, Mecco. Discover how communicating with our four-legged friends can open up a whole new world for both of you. And now, your host and Australia's most recognized and well-known animal communicator, Caroline Pope. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talking with the Animals. I'm your host, Caroline Pope. Thank you for joining me. Today, basically because of a uh, post on LinkedIn where I commented and got heaps and heaps of feedback, uh, none of it positive, but hey, you get that, but also because of what um, I've been seeing and a couple of canines I've had to patch up from off-lead dog parks where they really weren't ready to be there or they've been attacked by other dogs, I've decided to cover today the topic of walking your dog. So sorry to the cat and horse people today, but uh, it's all canine. So I think we really need to look at, first of all, why we walk our dog. Now, yes, it's for exercise, absolutely, but it shouldn't just be physical exercise. It should be mental and emotional exercise for your dog. Now, I'm the first to say that all dogs need training and boundaries. Yes, they do. But the walk should not be the traditional obedience, yank and spank. You must turn left, you must turn right, you must sit at every intersection. You cannot sniff anything. That's not a walk for a dog. That's basically jail time. Walking for a dog needs to stimulate all of the dog's senses. Now, keep in mind, humans are different to dogs. Dogs are going to happily roll in horse poo and eat it. Humans, not so much. Humans are going to listen to uh, to podcasts about dogs. Dogs, they don't usually, without their opposable thumbs, you just can't get that um, podcast app up and running. So the most important things to look at first of all, before you even walk out the door, is leadership. If your dog's demanding to go and going into hysterics when you've picked up the lead, they're not even ready to go out. When you put on the lead, what are you using? Is it a head halter? Is it a harness? Is it a choke chain? Is it a flat collar? Individual dogs will require individual things. Personally, I never recommend a choke chain or correction collar, as a lot of the traditional obedience clubs do, because of the amount of damage they do to the neck. Prong collars and electric collars are illegal in Victoria, and as far as I'm concerned, should be illegal for all dogs. If you need a prong collar to walk or control your dog, you shouldn't be walking it. You don't have the control. Ditto electric collars. They create fear and pain. No one can learn whilst experiencing that. All the side effects have been documented. 
also, not only are you giving whiplash injuries, you're also damaging your dog's thyroid. I don't find it coincidental when I was on an Anatolian chat group in America that their prevalence of thyroid is uh, issues in the Anatolians in America is about 10 times the ones over here. Every single uh, chat person, pretty much the first thing when anyone mentioned any issues with their dogs was put a prong collar on it. They're damaging the dog's thyroid. I always recommend a Hakiana harness, not a harness that restricts the shoulders in any way or sits on the neck. It needs to sit down on the thoracic inlet and your dog should not pull. I never, ever recommend the retractable leads. Dangerous for people and damaging to dogs. So you've got your dog out. The most important thing from the dog's perspective is the way the world smells. The Our nose is our least used sense. It's your dog's most. Let them sniff. Yes, I know it's boring. I have a large Anatolian and or at the moment, a large sap. I know how boring it is, but that's what the dogs need. If your dog is uptight, if your dog is stressed, they need to sniff. There's been many, many studies that have proven that the more the dogs sniff, the better the um, serotonin levels, the dopamine levels, all the problem solving. As one of my clients said, they're reading the wee mail. It's a good explanation. And also endorphins. When the dogs do a whole lot of sniffing, it releases endorphins in the same way the gym junkie or the jogging junkie or the people that leap out of um, airplanes wearing parachutes. They're all endorphin junkies. Sniffing for your dog gives the same thing. And why wouldn't you want your dog to use his brain and feel happy, relaxed and calm? Now, this post in LinkedIn the other day that uh, kicked up all the fuss was someone put a post up talking about they had a coloured jacket on their dog, uh, which was basically, I think it was yellow, which meant keep away from my dog. My dog doesn't like people. Now, I never bother with those for my own animals. Um, To me, they're irrelevant. Obviously, if you're in a training capacity around other dogs, they might be useful. But my um, answer to your question is why would you need it? If you know your dog isn't comfortable, why would you force it? In the same way, some people, yes, they're absolute party animals. Other people would prefer to stay home and read a book. Not all dogs want to be around a whole lot of dogs. That's just not their style. They may have been attacked on lead. They may have been attacked by an off-lead dog. They may be out of their depth. They may be a country dog that's never experienced the city. You don't know. But this woman was complaining that even though she had this vest on the dog, and it's marked quite clearly, don't come close, that people still came close. Um, To which my response was, yeah, and she says, oh, I keep telling them. I said, why? Don't be polite. Be rude. Just walk off. And several others, including a couple of animal communicators, said, oh, no, you can't do that. You need to explain to people that your dog's not comfortable. I'm sorry, I do not, under any circumstances, subscribe to that school of thought. I do not owe anyone an explanation. The 
only one I owe any sort of allegiance or explanation to is my dog. My job is to keep my dog safe, comfortable and non-stressed. I should not need to explain to someone else that they can't pat my dog. Just know and I keep walking. People don't want to pat a dog for the dog's sake. How would you like it if you're going out for a nice quiet walk and all these random strangers kept rushing up to you and patting you on the head or grabbing you and hugging you? You'd hate it, but you expect your dog to tolerate it. Why? And the whole school of, oh, I'll just give it a treat. How the hell do you know my dog's not diabetic or has allergies? Who in God's name offers to give a random dog on a street or on a lead, which is even worse, a treat? Again, this has nothing whatsoever to do with the dog. This is all humans making themselves feel better about something and using the dog basically as the bunny or the vehicle in order to do so. It has nothing to do with the dog. Steer clear of them. As I've said, many dogs are nervous. There are a million and one reasons for nervousness. Can be pain, in you know, lack of experience, push over faced in training, lack of leadership, not understanding what you want, Previous experiences, the list goes on. If you sense a dog isn't comfortable or the owner's going, no, back off, give them the courtesy and their dog the space. No eye contact, no speaking to them, just walk away. Believe me when I say they'll really, really appreciate it. Now we get to the off-leash parks, Um, the bane of many dogs' existence. I will not take my dog to an off-leash park. I'm not saying that they can't be a good idea. I'm just saying they're not a good idea for, I would say, 80% of dogs. Go to your average dog park without your dog and just observe. Quite often, it's chaos. Now, keep in mind, the legal requirement is that your dog is under effective voice control, which means no matter what's happening, you should be able to call your dog and it should come back instantly. No ifs, no buts, straight recall. I would say less than 1%, and I'm being pretty generous in that 1% of people there have that sort of control over their dog. Also, look at what they're doing. Are the owners watching their dog the whole time? No, they're standing around in bunches. Dogs can get attacked. Dogs can get jumped on. Elderly dogs can get hurt. Puppies can get crushed. People have no concept of what correct dog play is and what's bullying. And they will happily allow their dog to bully. Or on the other side of it, you've got the little old lady screaming and picking her dog up every time another dog comes near it. Quite why she's in an off-lead dog park with those sorts of things, I don't know, but people do. This kind of stuff is not fun for a dog. Most of the time, it's very stressful. Yes, you can have the occasional clicks where you've got the three o'clock click at Central Park, which is different to the four o'clock click or the five o'clock. But you watch someone comes in who isn't normally part of that three or four o'clock 
group a strange dog. And not only will the other dogs gang up on it and potentially the dog can be badly hurt, but also the owners. They seem to think they own a public park. And of course, you've also got dog walkers. Now, many dog walkers are very good, but I have seen dog walkers get out and let six or seven dogs off leash in an area where there are other dogs. They don't have control over those dogs. If something happens, the dogs will form a pack and it can get very, very ugly at another dog's expense. So really have a think about that. They don't all need to run. I'm not saying cardio is not a good thing for your dog. It can be. But if your dog hasn't got the skills or you haven't got a 100% rock solid recall, don't take your dog there. Yes, you might have to go a little further. Meko's recall isn't ideal. I'm the first to admit that because he can't get off lead very often and he can't run with other dogs because he becomes paralyzed in a front leg. So I drive about 30, 35 minutes away to a massive enclosed dog park that has two big areas. They're basically the size of a football oval each that are completely enclosed with six-foot cyclone wire fences, one person in at a time or a couple of dogs if you have one or two that are friends. When my dog is in there, no one else will try and go in. He can do his cardio. He can sniff the ground. He can do what he wants. I know we're safe. It doesn't matter if the recall's not instantaneous. No one else is at risk and he's safe. Now, if you have to make the effort to drive half to three quarters of an hour a couple of times a week to do so, then just do it. Your dog, your responsibility to give the dog everything they require. If nothing else, it'll give you a good incentive to keep polishing your recall so that ultimately you can go somewhere closer. And keep in mind too, particularly if your dog's recall is not 100%, having that enclosed with gates is a safety thing for main roads or any road because it doesn't need to be a main road for your dog to get hit by a car and potentially very badly hurt or killed. So give other dogs space and please don't take treats, don't take balls to the dog park and never ever go to the dog park with a pram and a baby. It's just setting up to fail. You cannot blame the dog whose baby's in the pram for protecting the pram. Dog shouldn't need to do that. If another dog comes up and is potentially threatening the baby, what's going to happen? Don't set your dog up to fail. Wait until if you wanted to walk the dog and the pram on lead around the streets, not in an off-leash dog park. Uh, Ball throwers. I should love them. I don't. They uh, create a lot of business for me. If you need to continuously throw a ball to exhaust your dog and call it training, you're going about it all wrong. All you're doing is kicking up the fight flight more and more and more. And then that leads to more problems at home. It's the on lead sniffing and also the amount of dogs that do cruciates and so forth and really damage their bodies because of repetitious hurtling after a ball slash frisbee and jumping up in the air. 
People talk about dogs running in the wild. Yes, they do for about a minute to a minute and a half. They've either got the prey, in which case they're eating, or the prey's got away, they're conserving their energy. They do go on an endorphin high chasing a ball. The problem is if they damage themselves, they don't feel it fully in the same way you don't when you're endorphinized until afterwards. And then often it's a case of too late she cried as she broke her wooden leg. They can do a lot of damage. Also, a dog will naturally get protective over its squeaky toy or its ball or whatever. So if you're going to an area where there's other dogs, don't take it and don't take treats because your dog is going to get possessive potentially. And if if you've got the lovely golden retriever or the happy lab that's great, that's great. But how do you know another dog in the park may not be food obsessed and not under control? What happens then? It can get nasty. So please, these are things really think about. I don't like going bush. Um, I don't do it particularly in summer for obvious reasons with snakes. But I do try and give Mecco the occasional bush bash on a longer lead. He loves it. Um, take your dog different areas where that you're getting different smells. The botanical gardens um, are pretty for you, but your dog will love them. Heaps and heaps of different smells and not necessarily being hassled by a whole lot of other dogs because not all dogs like interacting with other dogs or, as in Mecco's case, physically are not up to it. And that's fine. We don't live in the ideal perfect world where they can all run as a pack and live happily ever after. Would be nice, but, you know, life doesn't finish with and they all lived happily ever after. It's not a fairy tale. Be rational, be reasonable with what you and your dog as a team can achieve and work within those limitations. There's nothing wrong with wanting to expand those limitations over time. Absolutely. But if that's the case, make sure you have a rock solid foundation before you start trying to extend your training because so many people try and go too far too fast and particularly with something like a stay or a recall, if the dog gets it wrong, unfortunately, sometimes the result can be life-threatening or life-ending. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking With The Animals. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. If you've chosen to celebrate the Australia Day long weekend, I hope you had a fabulous one. Stay safe. And as always, remember, when you can, talk with your animal. Thank you for listening to Talking With The Animals. To learn more about Caroline and the services she provides, visit caroline-pope.com. You can also find her on Facebook at Caroline Pope Animal Communicator, CST, and NES Therapy. Are you ready to change the way you see your world and the animals in it? Well, we know his answer. Don't forget to subscribe and see you next time.